listening to a podcast from Light FM. Good morning. It's the Light Breakfast with Asha and Terry. And we've got a special interview for you today. Earlier, Asha and I caught up with Xavier Justo, the whistleblower who leaked details about 1MDB to the media, which led to the exposés on the financial scandal. We spoke with him about his experience throughout that saga, which are included in his book, Rendezvous with Injustice. Thank you so much for uh, joining us, Xavier. We've got so many questions uh, for you to find out more about what happened and also what's in store for the future. But first, let's go back to when you were first made aware of the 1MDB funds, right? And how they were being misappropriated. What were you told at the time about it when it was brought to your attention, when you realized it? My first knowledge of the 1MDB fund was in... uh February, March 2010, a few months after the joint venture was done between uh, 1MDB and PetroSaudi. So I was living in Asia at that time, and Mr. Tarek Obeid, the one of the boss of the of the company PetroSaudi, uh, called me and told me and asked me if I could go to work for him in London as the number three of PetroSaudi. Right. Um, so that's something that I did, obviously, and. That was, I heard the name 1MDB prior to that, but that was my first, I would say, uh, confrontation with the with the 1MDB company. Mm. So allegedly, uh, I, when I joined uh, Petro Saudi in London in 2010, uh, I was told that uh, Petro Saudi and 1MDB signed a joint venture and uh, Malaysia sent 300 million to Petro Saudi for doing some oil uh, services or oil exploration. Right. That's the first time I heard about 1MDB concretely. So when you found out about it at that point and you realized that there was something going on with the with the funds and the account, what were you told at the time about it? It's not as simple as that. Right. So because they Petro Saudi at that time showed everybody a press release uh, from from Petro Saudi saying that they signed a major deal with uh, with Malaysia, with the Malaysian uh, Sovereign Wealth Fund, 1MDB, mm. and that it, they were talking about, I think, if I remember well, a couple of billion dollars. But when I when I asked Patrick Mahoney and uh, Tarek Obey, the, the two bosses of the company, uh, what was that compared to what we had really in the, in the bank account, these 300 millions, they said that the press release was just done for the press, for the media, mm. and that the real number were not those in the, in the press. Mm. So that... That was my my only reality, because as I said mm. a few times, uh, something is to have doubts. The other thing is to be able to verify those those doubts, and for that you need either bank statement, uh, any kind of information or documents. Mm. And in the office we had none. And when I say we, I'm talking about, uh, for example, the the accounting team, um, the the legal team. The, the the only numbers that we knew that were ofi- officially shown to to the to the to the people of the company mm. were the one of GP Morgan, where only three hundred million dollars were sent as a working capital for for the joint venture. The rest mm. that was stolen when this will be discovered that they stole one point five billions, not a penny of that money went through the official accounts either of 1MDB mm. or either of the joint venture company. This was sent, as you may all know, to, to a bank account of uh, a company called Goodstar that was uh, belonging at that time to Mr. Jolo. We appreciate that, obviously, this is a much more complicated, layered 
mystery story, for want of a better word. But for you personally, Javier, what was that exact moment when you realized that this situation, this setup was something you no longer wanted to be involved with? Like there was that moral line that you had arrived at. Can you describe that moment or the sequence of events leading up to that moment that kind of made you think, okay, I, I need to step away from this? Okay, so again, it's the answer is not as, is not as easy as, as the question. Mm. So I left uh, Petro Saudi in, uh, I think it was April 2011 for moral reasons, but not this for any kind of money-related reason. I, I left because uh, Mr. Tarek Obeid and Mr. Patrick Mahoney with the money that they receive from uh, from from you, uh, pretty much from uh, from One MDB, mm. they were like starting to enjoy a crazy life. Right. When I say crazy, it was there was no limit to their vices or fantasies. So I don't want to go into too many details because it's uh, it's it's not that relevant. But they were having a life that was not in any kind of accordance with with the life that I wanted to have. I was living in London. Mm. with my girlfriend at that time, who now is my wife, Laura. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want to participate in any way, shape or form to this to this uh, disturbing uh, nightlife. So right. that created a barrier, a distance. I left the company because one one day we had a fight with uh, Mr. Obeid and uh, I said, I'm not here to, 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 to leave that. So I, I left and we went back to Asia with Laura. And that will be the, the, the moment when I will discover the... The, the, the dirty deal but during my time in london i had some suspicion i had some doubts obviously uh when i arrived in london in february 2010 so the joint venture just started like four or five months uh, prior to my arrival so this uh, was your video when you were first um offered that number three position yes got it when, okay. so when i joined when i when i moved to london the the the, the alleged uh, joint venture was just Five months old, I think, or four, four or five months old. Right. And me, in this just five months, Tarek was able to purchase a, a flat in London, in central London, for I think, if I remember well, eight million pounds. Mm. Uh, Patrick Mahoney bought a, a house in Notting Hill for around six, seven million pounds. And obviously, there was a lot of money flying around. Uh, as an example, uh, we had dealings with Venezuela. So instead of flying, flying uh, let's say business class or even first class, uh, they were renting uh, private jets to go there. The bills in the restaurants were were ridiculous. They couldn't drink any bottle of wine less than a couple of thousand uh, pounds the bottle. Wow. So mm -hmm. I saw that this was disturbing. But again, something, as I said, uh, when we started, something is to have doubts. Something else is to be able to, 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 to check the reality, to check the facts, to, right. to see a money trail, to see documents, to see contracts. So when you don't see that, you have, ju you have just doubts. But again, I left London uh, not because of uh, any kind of money-related things that I saw. I had doubts. There were only doubts. The reality will will uh, will strike later on. But going back to sort of that time when when you were arrested and incarcerated in Thailand, what was that like for you as an individual, and then as a father, and then as a husband, as as a family unit? How did that impact you and the family? I'll try not to get too emotional because pretty much every time I go to this part is. Uh, 
it's painful. It's not painful to me. Uh, of course, I suffer a lot in a, in a Thai jail facility. A Thai jail is uh, it's everything. It's immoral. It's illegal. It's uh, unethical. It's uh, you sleep on the ground without mattresses like a dog. No, because dogs nowadays they have they have a mattress to to sleep. You are deprived of food, of water. They don't give you soap or toothpaste, toothbrush. It's a uh, it's the jungle. So it's either mm. you have money or, and connections, or you, you will you will die of, or either of starvation or or, the, or dirtiness. Mm. So um, it was very very difficult. Obviously, it's uh, I was an ex banker. I was used to, um, I'm not saying that in, in a bad way, I was used to a good life, even you can call it a luxury life if you want, mm. but I didn't do any kind of criminal activities in my life. So mm. I was not prepared to face the, the reality of a, of a Thai jail. Um, but for me, the, the, the worst was to know that my wife was alone. Mm. She was alone with a baby that when I was arrested, he was eight months old. She mm. was wow. alone. 10,000 kilometers or 12,000 kilometers away from uh, her family and from her friend. And uh, maybe it was tough for me in jail, of course. But for her, it was worse. She had to take care of me. She had to take care of our baby. She had to take care of, uh, of uh, the, the media. And she was only 28 years old. And she had nothing to do with that. Those were my decisions. I put my family in jeopardy because of my decision. So I may in a way accept the fact that I suffer because actions have consequences and those were my actions. Mm. But she was manipulated mentally by these people. She was threatened. The, the, these criminals uh, threatened uh, that if my wife stopped cooperating with them that she could be arrested and my son be sent to a Thai orphanage. Oh. So as a father, you can't imagine how painful that it can be. Uh, yeah. You feel like a total failure as a husband, the same. Mm. And uh, mm. those were the difficult moments. Difficult moments inside the jail. You fight, you survive, you adapt. It's uh, everything is in the head. But knowing that you are the cause of the suffering for your fa uh, for your wife and son, this is something very difficult to accept and to live with. Mm. So, so, so to survive 547 days, a year and a half, it's uh, it's it's not easy. It, and in a way, you are not prepared to that. You don't know if you are going to cope with that because unless you live this moment, you, you can't know. Mm. So the first week of my incarceration, um, I think the, I, I was wishing to die. I think I even maybe asked God to not wake me up the, the, the next day mm. because mm. you live in the, in the, in the world of misery. Of, uh, it's it's um, unbelievable. But when you have a lovely wife that is fighting for you, when you have a son who was just born, if you don't fight for them, if they fight for you, you have to fight for them. So you adapt. And it's true. A couple of times when my wife came to visit me, visit me I was mm. at the lowest and she, she put me back in the game. She said, you can't, you can't give up. That's the emotional moment, obviously. It's always mm. uh, like this. And talking about your story, you know, you've announced the publication of your book, Rendezvous with Injustice. What was important for you in telling this story? Why was it important for you to tell this story? The main or the first reason when we started writing the book with Laura, we wanted our son to know exactly what happened. Because as you know, there have been a few books published about the story. But most of them are people that have not been through that story. So I, we wanted our son, our family, our friends, and any 
people interest, interested in knowing from the people that, that have been through that to know the story. The book is not only about the one MDB, it, it, it's more a human story, right. uh, mm. a story of resilience, maybe also a story of uh, a love story. You will meet strange people, fake Scotland Yard officers, mm. corrupted lawyers, and there's zillions of articles in internet. Let's say 50% are, cor are correct, 50% are not correct. Right. So at least it's, it's our legacy for our son. He will know because he is a big part of the story. I'm also, as mm -hmm. I said, without my wife and my son, I wouldn't make I made it true, of course. So we want it. It's not a one MDB uh, book. It's not a financial book. It's a little bit of everything. It's the human side of uh, the people involved that uh, they were not that were not prepared to to live through that. Also, with the consequences of of going through that experience, people say, "Ah, you're out of jail. Your life is like before." No, life will never be like before. My family name. The Justo name is a very well-known name in mm. Malaysia, of course, but also in Switzerland. Right. And even if I am seen as a hero there because I helped the justice, I did many things, it's still a name that, I just for, I'll give you an example, I couldn't find a job, I, I can't find a stable job for, since that story, I never had a stable job because my name is too well-known. Even if people say, we love your bravery, we love your morality, but you are a reputational risk, you are too well-known, our partners don't like to have their companies mentioned in the media. Mm. We, we the impact. Yeah, because what, what we're hearing, I think what we are, we're hearing from this is that we tend, people tend to speak to you from one angle. Whenever people speak to you, it's always through the lens of, of the 1MDB scandal yeah. and Petro Saudi. But this book is your book. It's a chance for you to tell your full story overarching, including, of course, what you've been through with regards to the, the, the issues with 1MDB and Petro Saudi. But also you get to expand on that and give your, your full story outside of that and what, how it's affected you beyond that one linear story. Yes, and also our people don't know how the system of justice works. In a, they, they know a little bit, but it's also all our experience of the way this, uh, this broken system of justice all over the world. I'm not talking about Malaysia specifically. Mm. Uh, I don't think that Switzerland is better. Just to give you an example, there has been a ruling like uh, a month ago where Petro Saudi has been finally indicted in Switzerland, Tarek Obeid and Patrick Mayoni. They have been indicted with three major charges, one of them being aggravated money laundering. So the, 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 the Swiss authority have released a statement, but in the same statement where they are um, announcing that finally after five years of investigation, uh, the people from Petro Saudi are indicted, the same statement, it's on a public record, so you can check, it's in English, mm. uh, same statement, so they are finally indicted. They thanks for that witnesses, I was a witness, they acknowledge that they used a few hundreds of thousands of documents for the investigation. Those are my documents. Mm. But in the same ruling, in the same communication, they said that the guy, without mentioning it, that gave the information is still under investigation for espionage, for oh. industrial espionage. So my home, my right. home mm. country, my loved country, is in a way thanking me because they, they mentioned the whistleblower in the statement. Yeah. They, they thank me for my help and cooperation. I spent tens of hours with them in, the, in their investigation. Mm. And I do think it's thanks to my, to my data and to my uh, witnesses, uh, witnessing, sorry, that I've been indicted. So they are thanking me for that, but at the same time, I'm still under investigation for industrial espionage. So what do you want me to do with that? 
Do you think Javier. that will help to find a job being under investigation by, right. your, by your own country? Given the fact that it was never your intention to even be the whistleblower in the first place and through everything that you've gone through that's led you up to this point now, going back to the topic of one MDB, what developments do you want to see happen that are important to you because of everything you and your family have gone through with this? The only thing that we want, and when I say we, it's my wife and I, we don't want money, we don't want personal revenge, we just want to, to show our son that we live in a world where justice is done, where people like them who stole billions of poor people, who sent their kind of best friends to jail, who manipulated a young mother, they need to face justice. We just want justice to be done, and not our own justice. We just want to to show our son that the, the, the world is, is working, even if, if, if we need progress, that at least criminals, real criminals, where the, 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 who have been indicted with zillions of evidence will go to jail. Right. I don't want anything else. I don't want them to die or I don't want to punish them. I just want that our world is efficient and where criminals are sentenced, they go to jail. They've been able to avoid jail for five years. You know why? Because a, a judge in the UK I, has allowed Petro Saudi to use stolen money to pay for their lawyer fees. That's why they're mm. still out. They have used stolen money to pay for lawyers. And that one word is, seems to be the one that bears the most weight for the story that you want to see told. Justice. Justice is... Yes, which is exactly why even your book, Rendezvous with Injustice, is, it seems to be the, the theme that keeps playing over and over again. Finding that justice that is right for to wrap up this this journey that you've been on and everyone else who's been involved with this one MDB journey as well. And, and of course, you stand alone as as your own story. People need to remember that you're a person in yourself. Don't, yeah. don't realize, don't think that you're just a part of this larger story, but you're, a, you're your own story. You're your own person and we appreciate you being able to join us and share this story with us. And uh, we, look forward yes, to, very much. we look forward to that book of, coming out as well, Rendezvous with Injustice. Where can people get so a hold of it's, this book? Uh, it's in, in, in the major bookstore in Kuala Lumpur, but uh, also with our good friends and partners, Gerak Budaya. So Gerak please, Budaya. if you really want to know the story, uh, the full story without uh, filters, please buy the book. Fantastic. We'll enjoy that. Absolutely. And uh, we'll have it uh, already read by October so that you can sign it. I will. <laughs> I will. We appreciate Bye you. Well. Thank you so Thank much you. for joining us. Thanks so much for having me with you today. I d really appreciate it. You've been listening to a Light FM podcast on Shock. That's S-Y-O-K.